You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Bet this football season with my bookie. Use promo code GATERS and get a free $20 wager with your first deposit. Only at my bookie. Gators breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Never a dull moment. Never a dull moment for sure. Here we are. Gators Breakdown is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore S-E-C. Join me tonight, co-host Will Miles. You can find him at his site, readreaction.com, and on Twitter at Will Miles S-E-C. Will, we got plenty to talk about, uh, of course, but it's been a couple weeks since we've been together. Uh, How was your holidays, man? Christmas, New Year's, all that good stuff? Well, I mean, it was just like everybody's. It was at home. There wasn't anybody around, and, uh, you know, all my folks live down in Florida, so... um, most companies, especially so my company requires a two week quarantine. My dad's company requires a two week quarantine. If you go outside of the state and even in, in Pennsylvania, the state's not letting anybody in or out. So um, it's been a strange time, strange time. So we had a good time with the family that, that was here. And, uh, you know, obviously cases are spiking everywhere again. So just sort of trying to be careful. And, you know, if nothing else, not working is a, is a nice place to be around the holidays. Just getting a little bit of downtime, being able to recharge and, uh, you know, watch Florida play a, uh, interesting game in the cotton bowl and sort of the start of all the stuff i'm sure we're gonna be talking about tonight and recording episodes in a car on my last car there last week so <laughs> hey i mean that's dedication folks i mean when you look at when you look at gator dave and you ask if he's committed to this um you know just just remember that when he's when he's at when he's at on vacation with his in-laws he's in his car recording episodes of gators breakdown for you all there we go. The, the the dogs were barking. There were a lot of kids around. So it was just best if I woke up early one morning and headed out to the car uh, to, to record an episode. But yeah, we know uh, that was the preview episode. I did the reaction episode after Florida's blowout loss to Oklahoma. We're not going to really hash, really rehash that. Uh, I gave my thoughts, and I will put his article out there, too. There's much bigger things to talk about right now, of course. Dan Mullen in the NFL talk. Uh, will, your really good in-depth article on Todd Grantham released yesterday at Read Reaction of, you know, why, why should he be let go? Why should he be retained? You looked at both sides of it. And, um, you know, really good stuff there we'll get into get into all that but of course everything being dominated by mullen and nfl talk uh right now whether you want to believe it whether you don't want to believe it uh whether you want to believe the reasons for it uh you know we'll get into all that here good discussion piece uh here but uh will man yeah absolutely plenty 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 to talk about and twitter 
message boards, everything. It's, it's been on fire. Yeah, well, it's, it's it's a good thing you don't cover a different team because there's always something <laughs> going on with this one. And I know that's your moniker and you picked that before you sort of maybe understood what it really <laughs> meant. But uh, the, the, we, we do not lack for content. That is for sure. There is always something going on, something to discuss, always a little bit of drama. Um, obviously, the Grantham retention has been part of that is, you know, I think most people, including you and I, expected Grantham to be gone after after the season and Mullen decides to retain him and just gets rid of a couple of assistants and then obviously the stuff with the NFL and sort of the rumors coming out of Gainesville along with you know that the interesting thing is is I think people feel like Gainesville is a destination job and so if somebody starts looking to the NFL the question naturally is well do they really want to be there is that why the performance was so lackluster against Oklahoma. And then you, and then you sort of extrapolate from that, right. And say, well, if that's the kind of performance we're going to get when you're looking, when you've got eyes on a, on a new job, then what are we going to get moving forward? So I get why people be concerned at the same time. You know, I go back to what I said maybe a couple of weeks ago, which is when you look at Spurrier's records and Urban Meyer's records in their third year, they took a little bit of a step back. You look at Meyer or you look at Mullen this year, sort of the same thing. You look at guys like Zook and Muschamp and uh, and McIlwain, and they took a significant step back in year three. So Mullen's record overall, when you start looking at sort of the historical Florida coaches is much more on par with what happened with those guys who won championships. Um, but obviously there are some markers that they're not hitting, particularly when it comes to the defensive side of the ball. This is a defense we haven't seen since like, I think it was like 1917 was the last time Florida had given up this many points in a year and then, um, or per game in a year. And then, uh, you know, obviously the recruiting aspect is something where Florida still struggles. And, you know, the question is, is, is Mullen going to be able to overcome that? And I think there are people who maybe, believed he was going to or believed that the winning was going to bring more recruits and neither one of those things has materialized so you know that, that's sort of where the where the tension lies is there are people who understand the way people like Saban have built programs and there are people who look at the way Mullen's building his program and say those two things are different and you know so that's why you get the warring of the warring of sides yep 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 so we'll get in all we'll, we'll get into every bit uh, of, of all this talk there. But before we do, remember you can find Gators Breakdown at news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there as well as News 4 Jacks coverage of the Gators. Plenty of other, other all, all the topics we're discussing uh, tonight. There's some articles there from the AP, News for Jacks, all that good stuff there at uh, News for Jacks. Please share, rate, and review the show on YouTube. A lot of you watching right now, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. It really, really helps us out here. Or if you just want the audio version, to go version, check us out on your favorite podcast platform. Follow, follow Gators Breakdown on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. Well, so I think uh, probably should preface this uh, a bit. I'll go. I'll go fan first for just just a second. I want Mullen to stay. I want Dan Mullen to be the head coach of Florida for for a very long time. I want it to work out. Does he need to change some things? Absolutely. Can the administration help some football more? Absolutely. Can't dig our head in the sands on this. And that like nothing's going on out there. The interest in the NFL is there. We'll discuss it here, but I want to make it absolutely clear from the Gator fan side of me, I want Dan Mullen to be the head coach of Florida for, for a very long time. So you know, we'll, we'll, we'll start, we'll launch it there. Uh, we'll, we, we had, of course, we're already going to discuss this anyway about, you know, Dan Mullen, NFL interest, all the NFL talk. Uh, but, you know, a, a lot of it, you know, really come to head yesterday, Sunday, uh, NFL pregame show. And then Matt Hayes, uh, Saturday down south, 
uh, put out a report today, quote uh, in the article here, there's an uncomfortable pause between Dan Mullen, who led Florida to the SEC championship game this season, and university administration. Multiple sources close to the situation sold me. So I'll get into more of the article here, but Will, this, this really has, after the, the, the uh, Cotton Bowl last week and everything kind of, you know, a few days, another weird press conference <laughs> after the fact, and then you get all this stuff the last couple of days. I mean, uh, of course, it, it's going to garner the interest of the football world out there. Yeah, I mean, I think when you, it's natural that Mullen would be interested in the NFL. I think that's something we've heard basically from the start. It's obvious when you look at the things he's good at, that it does make sense that that's a football, football, football type of endeavor, and you don't have to worry about recruiting, though. I, I, I kind of lean towards he's going to struggle with some of the same, same things that he struggled with elsewhere, which is more personality type of things. And, you know, just because relationships um, aren't being built with recruits doesn't mean that you don't have to build relationships with players. Doesn't mean that you don't have to woo free agents and doesn't mean that you don't have to get along with your front office and the people who are your bosses. So those sorts of things are still going to remain. But that was kind of the reputation as to why Mullen mm. wasn't brought in after Urban Meyer was let go. That's kind of the reason in some respects, why they probably went with Jim McElwain rather than get, rather than bringing in uh, Mullen again after after mu- the Muschamp experiment sort of fizzled out. And, you know, we're starting to see it here. I, I think it's a little bit premature to start reading into uncomfortable silences with the administration. I mean, yeah. we've all fought with our wives. We all, for the most part, still love our wives. And just because we're in the middle of a fight doesn't mean that we're ready to bail. It just means that mm-hmm. we're having to hash through some things. And so... I suspect that's probably what this is, is that the NFL overtures are real. I think he would pursue an NFL job if it was offered to him. I think some of the press conferences are going to scare away NFL teams, to be honest. If you look at it and say, if I need a guy to coach football and not cause major PR issues, then you go, all right, Mullen checks box one, but I'm not sure he checks box two, especially not after this year. And, you know, I I think that it's a way of generating leverage. It's a way of generating sympathy. I think he probably thought he was going to get a little bit more sympathy from the fan base than he did when it was, Mm -hmm. you know, when when news came out that he had this sort of interest from the NFL. But look, I mean, NFL jobs, they're not doing their job if they're not kicking the tires on everybody who's out there. And if Mm -hmm. they're not looking to find the best candidate for the jobs that they have out there. Same thing with college, right? I mean, if a college is going to spend $6 million a year on somebody, then they better make sure it's the best guy for the job. Anytime you're paying somebody $6 million, though, that's an ultra-competitive guy because to get to that level, you have to be ultra-competitive. And like I said, Mullen has a track record of having relationship issues along the way. And so I think we're seeing that right now, but I don't think it's irreparable. I don't think it's anything where, you know, where it's like, oh, he's he's just he's got his foot out the door and he's ready to go the minute somebody offers him something. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you're an ultra-competitive person and somebody's going to pay you more money, and you get to test yourself against the best in the world as opposed to the second best league in the world. I can understand why that would appeal to somebody. So I, I don't begrudge him that. I just sort of look at it and say it's not an effective way of wooing your fan base after you just basically laid an egg in a bowl game, right? That that the the combination of the what seemed like a completely laissez-faire attitude about the bowl game combined with a, hey, now I'm looking at the NFL – there's a certain subset of people who say, look, I want you thinking about Florida. And if you're not preparing the team 
And if you're looking for a different job, then we'd rather have somebody who's preparing the team and not looking for a different job. I don't necessarily fall in that camp. I want someone who's being looked at for other jobs. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have your assistant coaches being poached from you, if you don't have your head coach constantly under rumors of going someplace else, it means he's not doing a very good job. No one was offering Jim McElwain a job in the NFL. No <laughs> one was going after Doug Nussmeyer to get them to run their offense for the Dallas Cowboys or anything like that. They hired him afterwards. They haven't been any good since. So, and, and not like he transitioned from an offensive coordinator in college to an offensive coordinator in the in 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 at Dallas. You know, he was in a he was a lower assistant there. No, but I still th- I still think he's the reason that Dallas is terrible now. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway it, you get my point, right? Is yeah, that you yes. want someone who's wanted. You want someone who has the ability to make that jump. And then you would then and then you would hope that the place that you're that you root for is a has a compelling enough case to keep the person home. And I think that's what we're probably going to see is that I think Gainesville has a lot of stuff going for it. I think the Florida program has a lot of stuff going for it. I think Mullen still has some stuff to prove when it comes to his ability to be a CEO of a program, when it comes to his ability to win big, um, you know, in the SEC, win big at a big top tier blue blood program like Florida. Now, if he doesn't think he can win big at Florida because of whatever whatever the case might be, then maybe he decides to take a step out. But um, I think for the most part, this is just probably a couple of people with a little bit of infighting. There are some rumors about extensions and things like that and leverage and who has the leverage and and all those sorts of things. But this isn't new. Like Mullen, you know, a couple of years earlier this year, I think it was in August, I wrote an article about about sort of the former players. You had Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who was upset with the staff and the way they'd treated him or the way they talked about him before the draft. You had Ja'Kai Polite. They had said some things after he had had some issues at the Combine that were probably true. I just don't know if they were necessary. And then, you know, one of the things that came up in that article is Urban Meyer in his book, Urban's Way, um, <laughs> said that Tebow almost didn't come to Florida because of Mullen. And the, and the quote is, we had to overcome our quarterback coach to get Tim Tebow to come here. Now, he goes on to say in that passage that by the time the quarterbacks got there, they loved him. And that once he built that relationship, they were they were basically tied at the hip. And we've seen that with Tebow. But you think about Tebow and what kind of guy he is and how sort of easygoing he seems like he is and how competitive he is. And you look at that and say, OK, Mullen's a quarterback guru and he's extraordinarily competitive. Those guys should have gotten along from the start. And they just didn't. And so um, I think that's probably what we're seeing here. It's unfortunate that it sort of leaked out of the media. You wish it wasn't just pasted all over the place, but you know, sometimes that happens and you know, they'll repair everything. Six million dollars goes a long way towards <laughs> making everything better. So, you know, if if uh if the NFL doesn't come calling, there's really not a whole lot <laughs> like nobody's gonna pay him more to go coach someplace else in college. Yeah, so a lot of reason why it blew up today uh, on this Monday. As I said, Matt Hayes from uh, Saturday Down South puts it out there. Matt Hayes has been around college football for a long time and around uh, the program. He, I think he's a graduate from the University of Florida, so he has a lot of sources there. Uh, there, But he said, you know, Mullen, according to ESPN report Sunday morning, is telling NFL teams he is interested in the league. Meanwhile, Mullen's bizarre antics this fall haven't exactly endeared him to the Florida administration. Then there's the fallout from Florida's first NCAA probation in 30 years. Uh, quote in the article, the public nature of what happened can't be ignored. One source told me as Matt Hayes talking there, he goes, that public nature is Florida. The university that holds itself above the fray by winning the right way was last week placed on one year of probation by the NCAA for its head coach, not following NCAA rules. While this may seem ticky tacky on the outside, it's far from that within the administration. 
Multiple sources say the point of contention has been exacerbated this season by multiple public moments where Mullen's antics have put the university in a bad light. The latest being Mullen spent his post-game press conference declaring the last game of the 2020 for the 2020 team was 11 days ago in the SEC championship game. He talked about how he thought his quote scout team players played well in the game and that because of COVID protocols, Florida didn't really have to play in the game, but did anyway. He gave the impression that his team had little motivation to play. Those post-game comments came in is- became an issue because they minimized on, on an opponent and, more important, brought into question the team's preparation. Mullen's team was unprepared, got clobbered, and he responded with yet another bizarre post-game press conference. Mullen put the uh, Florida administration in a tenuous situation of dealing with a difficult season while watching its coach look for an NFL job. So there was the highlights there from Matt Hayes' article in the Saturday down uh, in Saturday down south today. So of course, you know, first thing I think a lot of people were, you know, where are the sources coming from? Uh, what level uh, uh, at Florida are they? As I said, Matt Hayes is plugged in there. You know, I, I believe in what they're saying as, I, as I've heard similar from multiple places as well, but not sure as dire as this sounds. Uh, there, um, I, I think there's merit to it. I just kind of question the level and, and the extremeness of it. Uh, but I think you know, fair to say, Will, you know, how much does Strickland have to deal with the off the field antics? You know, the pack the swap comment, uh, where afterwards he told Mullen to stick to coaching football. <laughs> I mean, we, we remember that, uh, the Missouri fight and then Mullen running onto the field, the comments after the Oklahoma game, uh, that you know, they didn't have to play because of COVID and it was basically a scrimmage. Now we hear that it seems like the, the administration cares more about these recruiting violations more so than. The outside does, you know, it doesn't seem most of it's already passed. Mullen's got a one year show calls that if he does go anywhere else in college football, the NCAA will have to approve it. Uh, Florida doesn't like that uh, part of it. And given Florida's history, you know that uh, about Florida coming out of the 80s there. Uh, so, you know, could that be a point of contention with Mullen and the administration? We know we know other schools do those same things. They skirt the rules, also break those rules. But, the, you know, those schools are willing to take those risks. You know, could Mullen see the Florida administration not doing the same? Uh, look, recruiting's not it's, it's not always fair. <laughs> it's just, just just the nature of the beast here uh, in college football. So you know, I'm guessing out loud here for, for a lot of it, I think it's fair to, to question and, and to ask with all that's out there. And uh, our good buddy Thomas Goldcamp at uh, 24-7, um, he had an interesting tweet today and in, in, in how some, maybe some of this right here connects. Uh, and he said, you know, who knows how Mullen's NFL interest, uh, how uh, Mullen's in, in NFL interest is or whether that's contract posturing. Interesting contract decision if he stays with the Gators. Three years left, probably wants an extension. But level two violation is something he can be fired for calls for, basically voiding a $12 million buyout for Florida. So Thomas goes on to say, so if you're Strickland, do you rework the contract, give up the flexibility with the buyout in favor of setting things and providing stability, or do you use that as leverage and take the financially cautious approach to buy uh, more valuation time for Mullen? Seems like Florida has leverage. He says Mullen's leverage is obviously would be if he does have NFL interest and he gets an opportunity. So you can look at it a, a couple ways there. This whole administration thing really blew up. Uh, with that article today, Will, and I mean, it, it, you know, just by I, going back to the whole pack the swap comment, and 
We discussed it back then. No need to really explain that particular situation. But when, you know, the whole Strickland comes out and says, yeah, we pretty much, we told him to stick to football. You knew there was some things Scott Strickland had to deal with as the athletic director of the, of the program that, you know, he had to deal with because of the head coach of, of football going out there and saying things that he had to deal with. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's, um, uh, you knew the minute Mullen said it, that he was creating work for other people. And, you know, that's going to tick people off <laughs> regardless. And, and I think it's the word I used to, to summarize the Oklahoma game was unbecoming. It was just unbecoming of a blue blood program to go out there and, and not try and then admit they didn't try afterwards. I mean, that, that was the thing that I think really irked people is not necessarily the loss. It's to go out and go, yeah, we really didn't care. It's like, again, you're minimizing your opponent, but then also you're, 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 it's something that a big time program shouldn't do. They should always come. They should always be prepared. They should always be able to count on the fact that, that things are going to be done well and done, done with excellence. And, you know, that's goes sort of goes back to the thumb wrestling rant from a couple of years ago where, you know, he wants to beat anybody who, who thumb wrestles him. So you don't want to beat Oklahoma in the cotton bowl. I think fans take that the wrong way. The big thing is, is that it, when you do things like make the pack the swamp comment, and it's one thing, and I don't think if that was the only thing we'd be having this conversation, but when you do something like that, that either puts the university in the bad light or embarrasses or makes boosters have to explain your behavior at the water cooler the next day, you start getting texts from your Georgia friends and your Florida state friends and your Miami friends, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, Strickland has to go out and raise money in the middle of a pandemic and try to figure out how to make sure that the program stays solvent and that he, you know, the reality is he's probably spending an awful lot of his time figuring out how do I make sure the swim team is able to survive? How do I make sure that soccer is able to survive? How do I make sure that, you know, lacrosse is able to survive because those are the programs are going to be hit by COVID-19, not football. And so to have your football coach come out and generate more work for you while you're in the process of trying to figure out how are we going to run this athletic program in the middle of the pandemic? Look, I'm sure he didn't appreciate it again at the same time though, highly competitive guy. You could sort of read into what Mullen was saying there too, which is that A&M was violating the spirit of the rule, if not the letter of the rule, by allowing the number of fans that they allowed into the stadium that day, and it made an impact. Florida loses the game. He's disappointed. He goes off on a rant. The The issue is, is that he then doubled down on it, which is fine. I mean, whatever. If you want to double down, I, I'd rather you say what you feel than come out and say, I'm sorry if I offended somebody a day later. Um, well, I mean, <laughs> how many times have we heard fans say, you know, well, we want to hear what the coaches really say, or the media even say. We want to hear what the coaches really think. We don't want to hear coach speak. Well, when somebody does it, you jump on them. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, nobody nobody would give a crap if you'd beaten Alabama. Yep. Right? I mean, that's what this really boils down to is and, – and I think this is this is part and parcel of everything. It's actually part and parcel to why I think people are really upset about Torian Gray and Ron English going instead of Ty Grantham. Um, and, and I think it's part of why the NFL chatter is so disappointing is that – other than in Alabama, where Saban just wins and he can sell winning, and maybe, maybe Ohio State and Clemson, where they can sell winning, what you're really selling your fan base is hope. 
And so when Mullen goes out there and has a Heisman Trophy level quarterback in his third year and the team's zipping up and down the field, there's hope that that team is going to be able to overcome some of the deficiencies. But the minute those deficiencies start popping up, well, then you say, okay, well, where are those deficiencies coming from? You know, well, they're coming from recruiting. Well, why is everybody interested in recruiting? The reason everybody's interested in recruiting is recruiting is hope, right? Recruiting is what's going to happen a year, two, three years from now. And the hope was when Mullen took over, okay, yeah, he wasn't the best recruiter at Mississippi State, but he was better than Sylvester Croom. He's going to come into Florida. McIlwain struggled on the recruiting trail. Now he's going to be able to improve that here at Florida. He has improved recruiting compared to Jim McIlwain, but he is not at the Urban Meyer, even really Steve Spurrier level when you look at the way Spurrier recruited and the athletes that he brought in. And what that me- and and the the – the I think hope was that when Mullen won on the field and showed his wares on the field, that the recruits were then going to come and that all of a sudden you would be recruiting at the level of an Alabama or even an LSU. And, and that hasn't happened. So you look at it and say, OK, well, that means you're going to have to have a schematic advantage. And on offense, Florida has had a schematic advantage and we saw it last year. But I think we've seen it all three years where Florida has been able to get more out of its offense with Felipe Franks in 2018 and then bringing in you know Trask as a backup last year in 2019. And then 2020, obviously, the offense going up and down the field, but where they haven't been able to see that schematic advantage is on defense. So what are you selling by keeping Ty Grantham in the program? Because what you're really doing is saying, okay, we're going to fix this with the people that we already have. But I think people at Florida have looked at Grantham and said, he's not bringing a schematic advantage. We're not getting higher level recruits. We have to win more than this to be able to compete with Alabama and LSU and Clemson and, and Georgia and all those guys on a consistent basis. So what I think what's happening with some of the fan base is that hope that you have in year one, year two, year three is starting to dwindle because the repercussions of recruiting at a fourth or fifth level, fifth ranking in the SEC are starting to sort of show where the cracks in the team are. And they don't have – and the concern is, is that the defensive coordinator does not have the ability to overcome those sorts of deficiencies. And so you combine all the different stuff that's been roiling around with the NFL talk – with the Grantham retention. And it's just sort of this perfect storm of things where the fans are sitting there going, you know, if, if I don't have hope that Mullen's going to pull us out of this, there's an opportunity to, to obtain hope if he does decide to go to the NFL. And I think there's a small subset of the fan base, though I think they're vocal, who would honestly like to see what would happen with somebody who's an ace recruiter. And, um, you know, so that's that's where maybe some of the back and forth, at least with the fan base, um, especially on Twitter, comes from. But I think for the most part, 95 percent of the people want Dan Mullen to be here, want Dan Mullen to be here long term, believe he has the ability to win big, but also believe that he, I I think at this point, after looking at three years worth of work, believe that some changes need to be made in order to get there and that those changes need to happen on the recruiting trail and that those changes need to happen in terms of the defensive scheme. He's decided to retain Todd Grantham, but that doesn't mean Grantham can't change. And so the question is going to be what changes next year? How do they how do they take advantage of the large defensive class that they brought in in 2020 and get them out on the field? And, and you know, if you can get that kind of improvement, I think everybody believes that Mullen's going to have a very effective offensive team. Um, but again, it, it's hope, right? I mean, what is the hope that Mullen is selling for 2021, for 2022, if, 
if the fan base is feeling anxious, then you start thinking about the recruits. And if you're looking at the door at the NFL, then what do the recruits think about that? If recruiting is already a problem and they think, oh, he might go to the NFL, how does that impact it? I'd certainly use it as a, as a recruiting tool if I was at LSU or Georgia or Alabama or well, not Alabama because they just get whoever they want. But, <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know, I mean, the reality is, is that that's going to be used as something say, you know, yeah, he came back this year, but do you really want to go to Florida? Like, look, he's going to be in the NFL in the next two or three years. He won't even be there when you're done. And, you know, considering that the program's already struggled with that aspect of of uh, of program building, I can understand why that would bother some people. Yeah, well, and going on to that, uh, I'm going to go into a little bit those, a little bit more of those details uh, as well, more NFL, more than NFL talk. Uh, we'll get into to Todd Grantham and, and Will's article a bit more too. But before we do, too much of anything is bad, but too much sports is barely enough. With that in mind, say hello to January 2021 from an expanded NFL playoff in the BCS National Championship, or not the BCS, well, college football playoff. I don't know where I was going with that. The college football playoff championship game to the return of the NBA and the NHL. This is truly a great month to be a sports fan. I always tell people to head over to my bookie if they want to add a little excitement to the sports they love and the games they bet on. I don't use my bookie because some corporate over, overlord told me to. I use them because they're the best bet. They'll hook you up with a 50% deposit bonus up to a thousand bucks when you sign up, and they'll keep the good times rolling with giveaways, free bets, and huge contests all year long. Well, after football season, it's simple sign up, enter promo code Gators, and get your deposit matched halfway up to a thousand bucks. Head over to my bookie today, start 2021 off on the right foot. This year, bet with the best, bet with my bookie. I will, and yeah, I'm kind of expound on some of the um, topics you just brought up there. Uh, you know, first of all, the whole money ploy um, extension talk can that be a side of it? Absolutely, sure. I don't think that's the reason we're hearing Mullen has interest in the NFL. Uh, I think it might be a combination of it. I don't think that's the full excuse that we're hearing the interest there. Uh, this interest has been there. Uh, go back to the uh, Dallas job last year. That was tailor-made. Dak Prescott's there, all that. There were some in the Dallas office that had interest in Mullen, and he had a little bit of interest in that uh, as well. Um, but I think, you know, the money ploy, used at the same time to get more money from Florida, sure. Uh, extension was kind of being worked on already back in the spring due to COVID tabled. Uh, but uh, Mullen was going to get one anyway, but now we'll kind of see where that goes with everything else that we just discussed behind the scenes. Uh, floating around out there. So um, now, you know, did this season and the way it ended and the issues we discussed earlier come into play? And this is a way to, to force extension talks from his agent, Jimmy Sexton, for, for his client, Dan Mullen? Absolutely. Uh, definitely possible there. That's how agents work. Uh, but, you know, but this does not erase Mullen having, having somewhat interest in the NFL. Well, we'll get to your other point, man. These are, if the if the interest in the NFL is not there, then what's to stop you? And it may not be Mullen's MO, but what's to stop you from coming out and squashing it? Whether it be on Twitter, whether it be through social media, through the university, you know, there it, it needs to be squashed. You know, and there's two fronts to that: recruiting, as you just already brought up. But right now, at this very moment, transfers are hitting the market right now. Something Dan Mullen's been very successful with the last couple of years. Florida should be in play for a few of them. You think they're going to commit and, and come right now with all these questions out there? Mullen needs to get out in front of it. You know, the, the same goes for, for wrapping up this 2021 class, which may be already close to done anyway. Uh, but, you know, this also could affect getting back on track for the 2022 class that's taken a bit of a hit recently. 
you know, and going to your point, Will, him and, and, and this staff, they already struggle recruiting elite talent. This cloud, this is however long it's going to hang, is only going to make that worse. And you know, to me right now, just you know, specifically this week, staff's on vacation as well with all this transfer stuff going on. And all this stuff for, for the NFL talk is also out there. So, you know, I think you're just kind of compounding issues uh, right now. So I, I think it's, you know, if the interest in the NFL isn't there, I think he wants to be at Florida, but find a way to squash it, find a way to get out in front of it. And, you know, that leads to a lot of talk, Will. And I've seen it. I've seen it a lot. Message boards, Twitter, talking to other fans. Is there one foot out the door? And if the interest is there, you know, a lot of people want to bring up ah, replacing two coaches, English and Gray. You know, if you didn't have if you, if you didn't have interest in the NFL or if you had interest in the NFL, why would you be doing that? You know, it's still your job to do things <laughs> as things change. You're still employed. You're still getting paid by the University of Florida uh, there. So uh, that's how I, I look at that. But, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things happening right now. As my, my thing, especially with the, the transfer market, the transfer portal, you got guys wanting to come to Florida, look at Florida. And you know, I think that they're going to have some questions right now if Dan Mullen's going to be here and be the guy until he comes out and says something. Yeah, I mean, you would think that that would, but I mean, obviously, he's not going to know what his options are until all of these teams, until the carousel stops the NFL. And it's not his job, at least, it's the university's job to make sure that he's happy enough that he's not looking someplace else, that he's not looking at the NFL. And if that means an extension, then you got to get him an extension. That's why these guys get extensions all the time when they've still got multiple years left on their on their deals. It's why it's why Texas just paid Tom Herman an ungodly amount of money and Gus Malzahn got paid by Auburn an ungodly amount of money to leave. It wasn't because that was the first contract they signed. It's because they had regrets after they signed the extensions <laughs> and decided to get rid of those guys. So colleges do that all the time. Obviously, in times of COVID, it's a little bit different just because of the way the finances are. But Florida has the money. If, if Florida wants to do this, I, I wrote an article a while back that looked at Florida's profit from like 2005 to 2016, something like $140 million when you looked at the revenue minus their reported expenses. Yes, they've started some capital projects that are eating into that. But let's be honest, they're in the black and they're going to be able to make these changes if they want to. Plus, if there's a coach they want to get rid of or a coach that they want to um, they want to go get, they can go to the right people within the program who have the cash who can help make that happen. So I don't think money is the issue. I think the issue is is that probably Mullen legitimately wants to see what what is he what is his opportunity in the NFL. Like I said, I think a lot of the stuff that has sort of gone on this year, you know, you'd need somebody like a Dan Snyder or a Jerry Jones or something like that who's going to say, "Hey, I'm, I've got a strong personality. I'm okay with someone who speaks their mind." If you've got somebody who's just sort of sitting there saying, "I want my head coach to sort of drift off into the backlight and let the players." or in the background and let the players have the limelight, then he's probably not your guy, at least based on this year. And then the other thing I would say is I do think that the recruiting violation is significant for a couple of reasons. One, Hayes, Hayes outlined sort of that there are people who want to, who want to believe the program's being run clean. I, I don't think there's, but let me put it this way. I don't believe that the program was above reproach when they were bringing in top three recruiting classes okay. under Urban Meyer. I think that there was probably stuff going on that was underhanded because there's always stuff in college athletics that's going yeah. on that's underhanded when you get to that level. But Meyer never got caught. And so the the concern here, when you look at the recruiting violations for me, is that 
if you're going to cheat and you're not going to be good at it, don't get caught. <laughs> and if you get caught, it says something about your ability to sort of run the program in a way. Because look, every program that recruits at an elite level has some shady stuff going on. And so that shadiness is usually held in the background. Now you do have situations like LSU where, you know, they've got some booster like taking money from a children's hospital or something and filtered into the program. And, and that stuff's truly ugly. But when it's just like a booster giving some money to somebody, I don't necessarily get all that mad about it. The question is, have you put up the, is you, have you become, are you a good enough CEO of the program to make sure that that stuff is done in a way that you don't raise flags with the NCAA? And clearly that didn't happen here. And based on the discussion, based on the way it's written, you can even, you can even narrow it down to the particular recruit that they're talking about, but that it was mm -hmm. done willfully, right? That there's not plausible deniability. It's not separate from the head coach, all those sorts of things. And again, I don't, I don't proclaim to be an expert at recruiting and how these things are done. But what I know is, is that it happens everywhere. And if you're getting caught, it probably means you're being sloppy. And that's one of the things that I think probably worries some people because sloppiness in certain aspects are things that have shown up in other areas as well. And so, again, I think that's the other criticism that we've heard on social media and message boards and things like that over the last couple of days is that, and I even wrote it a little bit after the Oklahoma game, which is Mullen is an excellent offensive coordinator. He's turned Florida into an offensive powerhouse, but he hasn't turned Florida into a complete program yet. And that's really the next step is can he turn Florida into a complete program? And all these little things, again, one thing I think independent wouldn't be a big deal. But when you start aggregating all the different things that have happened over the last couple of years, you know, when you when you alienate your allies in the athletic office one by one by one, all of a sudden it becomes more difficult to defend you. And then you look around and there's nobody left to defend you. And, and so it feels uncomfortable and you get what, you know, what, however Hayes termed it, that it's an uncomfortable sort of stalemate between the two parties. Um, I suspect that's where we're at. But again, it's a marriage that I think benefits both sides. And so there, even if there's some feelings hurt, even if they're arguing over money, even if there's some, um, you know, some things that are imperfect in it, I think both sides are going to look and say, you know, there's, uh, you know, I, I think there's some, both sides are going to look at it and say, this relationship benefits me more having it together than it harms me breaking it apart. So I don't want to break it apart because that's harmful. I want to keep it together. Eventually both sides will come to the table and, and compromise on, on the things they're looking for. Yeah. Here's the thing. Interest doesn't mean he's going to take a job or that he even be offered. Uh, that, 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 that's part of it. I mean, that's just, you know, uh, of course we don't want to hear our head coach has interest in, in, in an NFL job, but it doesn't mean right now he's going to go to the NFL. I mean, that, that's just, that's just the, the reality of it. And look, go back to his time at Mississippi state. He's had plenty of interviews back in his time at Mississippi state with Michigan and Miami and his arrogance rubbed those guys the wrong way where they, they didn't hire him. And, you know, if Scott Strickland wasn't at Florida, I'm still not sure Dan Mullins, the, the head coach at Florida, you know, and you, we all remember the Chip Kelly and and uh, Scott Frost, you know, it, if you want to believe the, those were the top two choices, you know, Scott Strickland, Dan Mullen wasn't his top choice. Don't get me wrong. He was my top choice. We, 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 we've been there. A lot of us wanted Dan Mullen, but it looks like Scott Strickland did have other guys in mind to begin with first. Uh, there. So, you know, if Mullen does get an interview with an NFL team, I still don't even know if that's really going to happen, uh, either by his choice or by NFL teams' choices. Doesn't mean he's going to get the job. And look, 
Well, I, I think another thing I kind of want to go in here, there's many, many factors involved. You, you kind of alluded to it a little bit. There's pros and cons of, for Dan Mullen, him going to the NFL. The pros, we've kind of mentioned, you don't have to recruit and the ever-changing rules of college football that change that seem to change every week now, you know, there's there's a lot of questions. And he can go just concentrate on the game of football in the NFL. Go game plan. Go play call. That's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. Somebody else will build the roster for you. You just go concentrate on football. And you know, the cons, here we go. We know he's a family man. You got to move your family, your young children again. You know, it's, you know, a con just kind of maybe for why some teams won't look at him, his attitude, the quirkiness, the approach would get shredded even more than it does now. Imagine him in the bigger markets of the NFL. The NFL yeah, the, the NFL media, mainly the Jets, because that's the team that keeps brought up, gets keep brought, bringing up. The, the, I mean, that media would shred him, go after him much more than what's happening now uh, at Florida and some of the things that happened this past season. Look, he certainly isn't dressing like Darth Vader in a post-game press conference in the NFL game. That's not happening. <laughs> you look, no fun league. There's a reason it's called that. And Mullen likes to have fun. That's one of the positives about him. That's what he likes to do. He's, he's, a, he's a quirky, funny guy. And look, like I said, he and the staff right now on vacation. When the transfer portal's hot, and and uh, you know those will be and making decisions in the coming days, those those transfers out out there, stuff like that won't fly in the NFL. Uh, a vacation couldn't wait a couple weeks. I mean, you, you know how structured and, and all that the, with the NFL is. So look, there's pros, there's cons. You know, when when you're looking at it, I would think you know from Dan Mullen's perspective of why you may want to go to the NFL, my and why you do not want to go to the NFL. And I really think that the cons outweigh it. You know, he's much more Spurrier-like. Spurrier used to go play golf. Spurrier used to spend having his assistants take some vacation, go play golf and all that stuff. That stuff gets erased, and you get bombarded and lambasted if you even try and do that stuff in the NFL. I think eventually he may like to try it, but this stage in his life, this stage of where he's at coaching college football Still a lot of things to prove. I'm just not so sure. I think the interest is there. I'm not sure if it's completely 100% there right now. I mean, I agree with everything you said, but I think that also goes both ways, right? So Chip Kelly is 3-9, and 4-8, and 3-4 and four in his time at UCLA. And then you've got Scott Frost, who's just been terrible at Nebraska as well. And so you start combining all of those different things where – you know, the alternatives, who's the alternative at Florida? If you're looking at Florida as a, um, you know, as a potential job destination, if Mullen does decide to go to the NFL, I don't know that there's necessarily a guy where you look out and go, Urban Meyer, there's there's Urban Meyer over there at Utah. You know, back back in 2004, 2005, that was a pretty obvious hire, especially with with Bernie Mockin coming to the coming to the University of Florida. That guy doesn't exist, at least not that I can see looking out there. I mean, you know, you've got guys like Billy Napier and and some other people who potentially would come up. And I think Hayes listed some of them in his article as well. But, um, you know, th- there's not really an option when you start talking about who are we going to bring in? Who is, um, you know, who who's the who's the next guy you're going to bring in. So if Florida doesn't have an option, if Florida, if, if Mullen is the best option, then there's not, then there's mutual reasons for both to stay. There's all the things you listed about Mullen from the standpoint of having the 
um, you know, it be football only in the NFL. That's true, but it's football only in your life. Right? It's not yeah. just football only in in the NFL. It's football only all the time, twenty four seven. Draft um, evals and and relationships, right? I mean, one of the things that we've seen a lot is when Urban Meyer was at Florida, Bill Belichick was constantly drafting players from Gainesville because he and Meyer seemed to have a really good relationship. That's part of it is doing all your player evaluation and figuring out what's going on. And maybe he would enjoy that, but the PR aspect and some other things i'm just not sure that uh that he'd be able to do that so that that's sort of where i'm at when i start looking at um when i when i start looking at what what happens here is that neither side really has when they both take a step back and they look at it and say am i better off in this relationship or am i better off not in this relationship i think they're both going to decide they're better off in the relationship and whatever unease there is whatever um you know, whatever conflict there is between various parties. You know, we mentioned earlier Mullen not putting Strickland in the best of situations after the COVID discussion, um, but then also not putting Strickland in a very good position after the Oklahoma game, losing the game against LSU where you've got the, through sh- the, shoe, the shoe throw at the end, losing three games at the end of the year. And I think that's where a lot of this, at least from the fan consternation, comes in is the season ended in a way where, you know, if the season ended in three wins and we're riding off into the sunset with a championship, you say, Hey, go, go have fun in the NFL. You gave us our championship and you did it in a way that nobody else has done in the history of college football, which really does prove that you're a schematic genius and should move on to that next level to challenge yourself. If you're not capable of, of winning those last three games, if you're not capable of disciplining the players and making sure that they're playing with discipline throughout the entire uh, throughout the entire endeavor, then you know I struggle with with, and I think most fans struggle with Mullen going to the NFL after he hasn't really proven that he can out scheme people at the college level. So, yeah, you know, I, I think it it's one of those things where you just necess- don't necessarily know. Um, know what each side's thinking. They each have different sets of incentives. But I think when they sit down and really look and take a hard look at what's what's best for each party, that when they take that look, that Dan Mullen's going to say, Florida is the best thing for me in my career, that Florida is going to look and say, Dan Mullen is the best thing for us and our program. And then they're just going to get together. They're going to make the money work. They're going to make sure that the relationship is at a place where they can move forward and convince recruits that it's a long-term solution for them to be, uh, for them to be working in a partnership. Yeah, I, I do think, and I'll go back to the point of where I think getting out in front of it, I would like, to, I would like it to be resolved soon just for, just for that purpose. I mean, I, I think, you know, as I said, I, I think eventually NFL happens. I don't think it's right now. I think Mullen has a lot to prove. I think he wants to prove it. I think he wants to prove it at Florida that he can go out there and he can he can beat Georgia. He can beat Alabama. He, he can beat LSU. He can go out there and win an SEC title. He can go out there and win a national title uh, there. So I, I don't think anything happens this year. I think Mullen's still the head coach uh, at Florida. I want him to be the head coach at Florida. I want him to be the head coach at Florida for a long time. Uh, that means Florida's having success. If Dan Mullen's here in five years, means Florida's winning ballgames. If he's, you know, I, I don't know how much longer past that I see him not taking an NFL job or, or something like that down the road. Uh, but, you know, hopefully, hopefully that's the case. And that's what we're <laughs> here on Gators Breakdown. We're still talking about them more than five, five years from now. Look, that would be different than what we're used to here, you know, since, uh, you know, Spurrier's longest tenure uh, or, Spur, you know, even in the, since Florida football has become what we know Florida football to be. 
Steve Spurrier still has the longest tenure. And then it's just kind of been a revolving door uh, of head coaches. You know, if Dan Mullen's here eight, nine years, that's a good thing. <laughs> that's a really good thing. And that's kind of where I'm leaning to where I want things to be uh, when we discuss this. But, you know, I, we can't ignore, we can't put our heads in the sand that, you know, this is the real possibility uh, or right now. There was whispers of it last year. It's kind of full-blown this year. Um, you know, agent talk, maybe, but uh, it's, it is it is out there. I know the interest is there as well. I don't think it's ramped up to 100 uh, there. But, well, if, I, if I'm going to make a prediction, you know, and I don't think it's really a hard prediction, then Mullen will be the head coach at, at, at University of Florida, and we'll, we'll, we'll get some answers toward the end of this week, early next week. Yeah, you know, and one of the things about Mullen is he doesn't seem to be afraid to stick to his guns, right? He We've yeah. seen that multiple times when he started Felipe Franks, when people wanted them to bench him in 2018. Um, you know, we, we even with the COVID stuff earlier this year, he didn't he didn't back off until he got it and the whole team had it. And it was sort of going through. And I think basically was told, hey, you need to go out and say something. This is a PR disaster right now. I don't suspect he probably wanted to back off of his comments. But at that point, it was like, all right, I'm going to have to, <laughs> um, especially because he knew at the time that these recruiting violations were sitting there in the background when nobody else did. <laughs> that is true. That's a good point. But we're seeing it again. Right. I mean, one of the things that's going to be really interesting is to see. So let's say all this stuff gets healed. Everybody he comes back to the table. We sing Kubaya. We say, hey, we've got an extension out there. Dan Mullen's going to be here for the next decade. Look at his contract. Um, it's going to be really interesting when, um, you know, when Florida gives up 35 points next year. <laughs> like he stuck to his guns and kept Todd Grantham and Grantham with the fan base is going to have a really short rope because that rope has already basically been completely frayed at this point after the 2020 season. And so, you know, if the changes before you go even further, before even next season, and everybody knows how we feel about spring practice, spring games, you know, spring practice is more important than the spring game itself. But imagine the spring game. I think I even brought this up to you in the Twitter DM. All right, everything's changing for Florida football this year. Todd Grantham is not, especially for the offensive side of the ball for Florida. You know, things are changing. Imagine the spring game. A lot of people are going to put a lot of stock into it. All right. You're changing quarterbacks. You're losing a lot of offensive weapons. Okay, the offense goes out there and shreds the defense. Oh, we told you. Should have got rid of Grantham. There you go. Or if it's the other way around and the defense actually does show up for a spring game and shut down the Florida offense, it's going to be like, yep, see there? Can't do anything without Kyle Trask and all those weapons. So this spring game is going to be the coming up season. I'm not going to read too much into it. I'm not going to read that circumstance that I just read up to it all too seriously, but you know, it's going to be out there. You know, it's going to be overblown if the offense has success or the defense has success. And uh, it's uh, that's going to be coming, but it kind of maybe uh, a precursor to the event that you were talking of in the fall where, well, you know, he's going to stick to his guns. And if that defense doesn't uh, show up in the fall, then, you know, a lot of people uh, will be, will be raising those questions. Yeah, I mean, people try to draw conclusions from the spring game. I think we've we've made that mistake in the past, going in, getting all excited, and then coming out going, well, that was disappointing. <laughs> so, I'm, so I'm not necessarily going to go in with any expectations. I don't think other people should either. The other thing is coming out of a spring game, you'll still have hope, right? That yeah. that's, the, that's the thing, is that you'll still have hope. Well, the spring practice, maybe they've still got fall camp. Maybe they'll be able to get it back together. The problem is going to be when you give up 38 points to Kentucky, 
or, or when you give up 42 points to Georgia or whatever along the course of the year when you don't get pressure on a quarterback or you get completely shredded or you or you, you know your team doesn't get lined up or you miss a corner blitz like that happens one time next year and it's going to be one time too many for a segment of the fan base that's going to start getting louder and louder and louder and you know in some respects i can't blame them i mean you start looking at some of the underlying statistics and go eh, I, i'm not sure that i understand the process that mullen's going through when he's decided to get rid of gray and when he's decided to get rid of english but has decided to keep grantham because removing those two guys indicates that you that you're acknowledging there's a problem the question is what is the problem what are you trying to solve and and is grantham the guy to solve it and and that's what i tried to go into in my article this week that i was looking at just you know is retaining grantham the right choice for florida and that's where fans are going to have an issue i mean it has been a popular article people are reading it because it it does sort of outline some of the stats that i think are important in terms of things both Grantham historically where he's been previous stops Grantham at Florida the last three years compared to the three years before he got there but then also both from a recruiting and an on-field perspective but then also well, just to get, to get people to go and read it because you have a lot of info in there what's the key stat that you think makes the case where Florida should move on for from Todd Grantham well, so the key stat that I think is that if you take the 2015 through 2017 Florida t- Florida defenses, so one bad year under Shannon and then two really good years under Jeff Collins, they averaged 20.8 points per game. If you take the 18 through 20 defenses in every category, points per game, yards per play, yards per rush, yards per attempt, QB passer rating against turnovers, third down percentage, every one of Grantham's statistics is worse over his three years than the three years prior. And if you look at the 2020 team in terms of talent, it had more talent and more experience than those 2015 and 2016 teams, at least from a star rate. Yeah. And if I remember right, 20, even without 2020, that was going to be the case. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is if you took out 2018 and 2019, the stats of the three years prior versus the first two years of Grantham's tenure were pretty close. So the expectation I had was that the defense was going to be lights out this year. In fact, I went back and found an article I wrote earlier this year that said, hey, I think the defense could be really good. And the reason I thought the defense was going to be really good is that the star rating in 2018 and 19 for those defenses was relatively low. And Grantham had, st- historically speaking for Florida, and Grantham had still done a really good job of getting pressure and bringing in transfers and making sure that, you know, at least at the starter level, that those guys were performing and performing pretty well. Sure, there were cracks. I mean, you couldn't get pressure against Georgia, couldn't get pressure against LSU, um, had a couple of games where, you know, couldn't get off the field. But at the end of the day, overall, when you looked at it holistically, the defenses were pretty good. And then you go to 2020, you go, okay, now we've got four seniors in the secondary. We've got Brenton Cox coming in, who's a five-star defensive end. You've got Gravon Dexter, the first real five-star they'd recruited, coming in at defensive tackle. There's going to be some real talent on this defense. This defense should be able to take a step forward. And instead, we saw what we saw this year. And what we saw is a team that looked like it was not very well coached, that it wasn't very disciplined, that it had skill, but the guys didn't necessarily stay in their gaps, that they had recruited guys like Amari Bernie and Trey Dean at safety, and then had decided to move them off of safety. Well, now all of a sudden we can't guard anybody with our safeties and we don't have anywhere to turn because guys like John Huggins and guys like um, you know, Randy Steel. Russell and, and, and Chris Steele had all transferred. Mm-hmm. So you didn't have the ability to make adjustments that you might've had otherwise. So, um, yeah, that's that's the sort of long and short of it. I mean, I just look at it and say, 
what's he doing to improve the team versus the guy who was here previously? And the reason I wasn't he, the reason I wasn't real high on the Grantham hire to start with is that when he was hired, I looked back at his stops in Georgia, Louisville, Mississippi State, and I did the exact same exercise. I said, all right, the three years before Grantham got there versus the time that Grantham was there, what happened overall? And the answer is almost identical performance pre-Grantham and then with Grantham, both from a on-field performance perspective, but also from a recruiting perspective. So if you're not making a difference bringing in elite level talent, and if you're not making a difference on field, why would if and if this is what we saw this year with guys who are experienced and maybe, you know, you look at guys like Donovan Steiner and you say, OK, this isn't a five star guy out there at safety, but he's, he's essentially a four year starter. You would expect them to be taking good angles to know uh, to wrap up, to be able to um, to be able to know where he's going to be. You would not expect guys to be uncovered in the SEC championship game or in the Cotton Bowl against uh, against Oklahoma. But that kind of stuff was happening. And so now we're going to have a younger defense in 2021, and and especially at defensive tackle, they're going to be really, really, really thin. And you know, I just think a lot of the same problems are going to surface themselves, maybe at a different unit. So maybe it'll be a little bit less obvious because the defensive backs will be better, so you won't be getting beat over the top a lot. But I think they're really going to struggle to stop the run. And and you know, I I don't see a whole lot of evidence that Grantham makes things better. I think I see a lot of evidence that he doesn't make them appreciably worse, but I don't see evidence that he makes it significantly better. And so, what, what are we going to get next year? probably somewhere in the 25 to 35 ranking for defense. Cause that's where he's been most of his career. Um, is that good enough? Probably not. If the offense takes a step back with Kyle Trask leaving, if the offense can continue to hum then that might be good enough and Mullen's holding up a trophy and we all look like a bunch of, a bunch of jerks for saying that Grantham needs to go. But, but that's the ceiling. I don't think you're going to end up with consistent top five defenses with, with Todd Grantham. He just hasn't shown that in his history. He hasn't shown a level of improvement at any of the four stops now that he's been at. And that becomes pretty clear when you look at the, when you look at the numbers. Yeah. I'm not so sure how, 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 how much better the defense gets next year. Uh, I think that is a concern. That is a worry uh, there that, that I have. Uh, of course, I think it does get better because you're absolutely God awful this year. So I think it, <laughs> I think it has to reverse somewhat. Uh, will, will it be enough? Uh, I think the offense takes a step back too, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll, we'll have plenty of time to get into to, to that side of it. Uh, hot name there to, to kind of help with uh, Gray and English going uh, about. Uh, former Florida assistant Travaris Robinson was that defensive coordinator with South Carolina uh, with, uh, with Bill Muschamp there, of course, at Florida before that as well. So you know, a name to look out there, that's the hot name. Nothing done yet, nothing finalized yet there, but that's just a kind of hot name. Uh, to, to keep an eye on uh, there. But, well, something else I wanted to bring up when we're talking, you know, Todd Grantham and, and all that. We know how much uh, a lot of Gator Nation out there uh, loves to bring up the Clemson and, and, and Dabo comparison. And I put this out on Twitter yesterday. Uh, look, and, and a lot of that uh, comes from the slow build, recruiting, all that kind of stuff out there. But, you know, I said, since Dabo is praised for the way he built Clemson, he fired Kevin Steele. After this, in his third season, it's not a straightforward comparison, but noteworthy. Uh, so I posted some images of the uh, score results and everything that uh, come about uh, that year in Dabo's third season. So, but starting with the seventh game of the season uh, there, um, that defense really fell off. Gave up 45 to Maryland, 38 to North Carolina, 31 to Georgia Tech, 28 to Wake Forest, 37 to NC State, 
None of those were ranked teams, by the way. 34 to number 14, South Carolina. 10 in the ACC championship game versus Virginia Tech. But then the big one gave up 70 points to West Virginia in the Orange Bowl that season. So, like, as I said, look, as I said, the comparison, not a straight line there. Offense, the game is different since then. But many fans out there really like the Dabo comparison in staff continuity and a slow build in recruiting. Well, part of that is also making sure you have the right personnel. But there was a problem there in his third season on defense with a respected defensive coordinator in Kevin Steele, and he made a change. And guess who he hired the next year? Brett Venables. <laughs> the very next season. So the rest is history uh, that there. Now, a lot, believe me, I've heard ad nauseum here all the time. Look at the way Clemson did it. Look at the way Clemson did it. Look at the way Clemson did it. Well, if you're going to take parts of that, take this part too. Third year, terrible season with the defensive coordinator. They got rid of him. And I know people keep throwing for Florida, and I think it's a valid excuse. It's not a full excuse. I know the COVID excuse gets thrown out there over and over again. That doesn't mean we can't critique. It doesn't mean we can't. If we're going to look at the positive, we're going to praise the offense for all the good that they did, we can also critique the defense and the way they performed in the season. So it was, COVID was not the, the total reason for Florida's misfortunes this season. No, and everybody had to deal with it. And not everybody exactly. had a defense that couldn't get off the field ever. And to be it was, honest, it, it, it was the reasons, Will. Like, going to your point, lining up, not getting the plays in on time. It's the simple things. COVID has nothing to do with that. Well, my brother gave me a book. I've been sending you, I've been sending you uh, excerpts yeah. from the book via text just to sort of show you. I mean, it, literally, the first page of the book is make sure your base defense is simple because lining up is the most important thing you can do. <laughs> it's like, you know, so I'm, I'm like reading football, defensive football for dummies going, geez, these are the types of things that we were screwing up. But going back to the Clemson example, because I, I think I think this is important is that Bill Sykes um, did some work for my site maybe a couple of years ago looking at bump classes. So the second recruiting class for um, for teams that are competing for championships in the SEC. And what he saw was they have a they average 2.3 ranking in the SEC. So basically somewhere between second and third overall in the SEC. 2.3 five-star recruits and 16.8 total blue chips, so four- and five-star recruits. From 2011 and 2018, the Tigers, the Clemson did have an average national ranking of 12.6, but they had a 2.2 ranking in the ACC. And the other thing is they had 4.1 top 100 players, 10 top 300 players, and 1.85 star recruits per class. So you start looking at those metrics that, that Bill laid out for the SEC, and other than the national ranking. Clemson was meeting a lot of those metrics. So if Mullen was bringing in three five-stars a cycle and was maybe lacking a little bit on the four-star end and wasn't filling up the class with three stars, and you said, hey, he's finishing 10th, I'd be like, okay, like he's got a blueprint for this because that's the Clemson blueprint. The Clemson blueprint is bring in two or three five-stars. Those classes that were ranked in the – you know, 11th, 12th, 15th range were usually classes that did not have a full 25 guys in it. And so that's one of the reasons why they were lower is on an average player, on an average ranking per player, they were higher than that. Um, but the big thing is, is that they they got in these guys who were can't miss prospects. They got in a couple of quarterbacks. And then I don't think you can underestimate the fact that after Jameis Winston, there was all the drama going on with Jimbo Fisher and the team that was the behemoth in the ACC, or at least had the potential to be the behemoth in the ACC, has completely fallen off. And, you, you know, know well, Go to your point. Clemson was what, 2.2, you said, in that 2. window? 2.2 in the conference. Okay. And Florida State was one. Right, there you go. 
their only competition was FSU. Yep, and I've looked at this before when you look at different records in um, in different conferences. So the conference, if you look at the conference roster rankings, the four years prior, the win percentage for the team ranked first or second is somewhere in the 80% range. Once you get to third, it drops down to 70. And once you get to fourth, it drops down to like 55%. So Mullen's actually doing a very, very good job winning games when he's got less talent in the conference overall. But the reality is if it's a 50-50 proposition when you play Alabama and Georgia every year, well, then you've got a loss <laughs> because a 50-50 proposition in those two things. Whereas if you've got a team with a 70% shot at winning both of those games, well, now you're going to have seasons where you go through and you end up undefeated heading into the SEC championship game or even through the SEC championship game. And you start taking those percentages. You know, if, if you're going to win 50% of the time, obviously you end up six and six over 12 game season. But if, if, if you're, there are, if you are, uh, let's say you're able to win 80% of the time, well, now the number of times that you might run the table becomes significantly more. So I, I used this term earlier this year, and I really think it's true, is that Mullen is trying to thread the needle in the SEC where he has to have his team come out and play at its absolute best and peak against Georgia, against LSU, and against Alabama in order to get through his schedule unscathed. And this year he was able to peak against Georgia. They sort of took a few weeks off and then weren't able to dial it back up again against LSU. Finally, in that second half, seemed to sort of come alive against LSU, almost pulled that one out. And then by the time they got into the SEC championship game, they were humming again and, and almost threaded the needle against Alabama. But when you ask your team to do that sort of thing, they it has to be perfect everything has to align and in 2020 it just didn't quite align well enough for florida to get to where we wanted it to get um alabama doesn't have to have everything aligned i don't think they played their best game against notre dame this past week and still blew them off the field i mean i looked at that game and you know it was like it almost felt like they were toying with them once it was like 21 to 7 they were just like all right let's get this over and not get anybody injured before we go whip ohio state and uh you know, they had an answer for everything. I mean, if if they decided to double team Devonte Devonte Smith, they just handed it to Najee Harris. If they decided to leave Devonte Smith in single coverage, all right, touchdown. And you know, Florida doesn't have that level of talent yet. I think it's a way to get there. But I think when people bring up the Clemson example, the conference is the thing that we need to take into context. But beyond that, is the the top heavy nature of the guys that they brought in. So four top 100 players for cycle per cycle from 2011 to 2018. And those top 100 guys make the NFL considerably more than a hundred. Now I've shown this in some stuff I've done previously where it's like 60% of guys in the top 15, zero to 50 or one to 15 in the rankings, like something like 60 or 70% of the guys go to the NFL and then it drops off by the time you get to 50 like the 50th ranking, you're looking at guys who you know make it like 40% of the time. By the time you get out to 100, now you're looking at guys who make it 20% of the time. And it basically stays that way all the way out through four-star guys out to 300. So it's sort of this curve where it's really, really steep at the front where you get a lot of NFL guys if you've got top 100 talent. And then as the talent level drops off into the you know 110 to 300, like there's not a huge difference between the guy ranked 150th and the guy ranked 300th when you're trying to distinguish that. I think these recruiting services do a really good job of identifying the can't miss prospects. But I think all the stuff people talk about in terms of development and work ethic and attitude and all those sorts of things become way more important when you're looking at there's just a smaller difference between the hundredth guy and the 300th guy than there is between the first guy and the hundredth guy. And Clemson's bringing those guys in. Clemson brought in four top 100 players from two th per cycle from 2011 to 2018. 
Mullen has not brought in four top 100 players in his first three cycles. I don't, or I, I don't believe I'd have to go back and look, but um, I think he's brought in seven in three years. I think that's, I think that's what he's at. So he hasn't brought in that same level of top tier talent. And it's interesting when you look at the 2020 team, um, you know, Kyrie Elam is one of those top 100 talents. You've got uh, Brenton Cox is one of those top 100 talents. And those are the guys, and Diabate, I think, is right in there as well. And those are the three guys who really showed out on defense this year. And, uh, you know, those are the guys who were sort of stalwarts. Yeah, Dexter's top, top, but he wasn't starting, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, So, anyway, I mean, that's the path, right? I mean, the path is I don't know that you have to recruit better than Alabama. I I would like them to, but I think that's a tall ask. I think what you have to do is make sure that you're securing those top 100 guys. And if that means you spend a little bit less time on the guy ranked 200th or the guy ranked 300th, I think you have to do that. Like you're going to have to take some risks in terms of the time and how you recruit and making sure that you build those relationships with the guys who are top 50 because those are the guys who are going to change your program. Those are the guys who are going to allow you some of that margin so that you're not always having to try to thread the needle, at least on an every year basis. But this, the reality is with Alabama and the conference, teams are going to, there are going to be cycles. It's going to be everyone competing with Alabama until Saban leaves. Now Saban came in and it was going to be Saban and Urban Meyer who were competing year after year after year. I'm fully convinced of that. But the minute Meyer left, then Saban had free reign of everything and has sort of built this evil empire. And, you know, you'll have LSU pop up every once in a while. They did that last year. Auburn comes up and bites Alabama every once in a while. And Florida can be in that conversation as well. But, you know, the, the Clemson yeah, example. As much as we hate them and stuff, you know, Georgia pushed Bama to the wire, of course, in the SEC and, 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 and national title game. So, I mean, there is a path. It's just a narrow one. And, you know, right. you, look at the, you look at the recruiting rankings in the SEC and everybody's in the top 25. Yeah. So, you know, the only people who aren't is is Vanderbilt and Kentucky is usually in like the 30s and, and Missouri. Uh, but, you know, that may change, too, because Vanderbilt's bringing in that guy, Barton, Barton Simmons from 24-7. <laughs> I like the fact that they're doing something unique, that they're saying, yeah. hey, what we've done hasn't worked. So we're going to bring in a guy who's got relationships with people all over the place. And they may not get these top 100 guys, but what they might end up doing is finding the guys in – um, you know, in that sort of high three-star range that they think are undervalued and be able to bring those guys into Vanderbilt and sell them on the fact that you're getting an education at Vanderbilt. And, uh, you know, I'm interested to see what they do. I'm interested to see if they, uh, you know, how how they decide to approach things from a different perspective. And and that's really the thing I think that that maybe I would hope that we would see from Florida and from Mullen is that, okay, you're going to recruit at this level. I can yell and yell and yell and say you need to recruit better. But if that's not going to happen, what are we going to do that's different than Alabama in order to consistently compete with Alabama? And if the idea is we have to schematically have an advantage, then you got to have your defense lined up. You got you can't have people throwing shoes. Like there, there, are, there are bare minimums that have to occur if you're going to say we're going to do this differently and to say we're going to out-scheme and out-develop you better out scheme and out develop because you've decided that um, you're better off spending time or you prefer spending time on scheme and development than you do on the recruiting piece. And and so, you know, at that point you're building the program differently. The question is, is it going to work? I think we've got 
a fairly substantial number of years now that indicate that that it's a tough road to hoe. So let's see what he does differently. And maybe maybe what he does differently is he's retained Grantham and the rest of us would have gotten rid of him and Todd's going to have a good year next year. So we'll, we'll hope for it because certainly uh, we want to be rooting for a team that's playing well. And we don't like this stuff, right? We don't want to call for somebody to be fired. We don't want to we don't want to be discussing NFL prospects. We want to be saying, hey, can he win his third straight national championship? <laughs> and uh yeah, so. you you and I, we're, you, you put it in your article, of course. You know, we're pretty much lagging behind in the whole fire people train. That's just we were we were way behind on my. I mean, you know, McElwain, it was okay. I'll give him a chance in 2017 when everybody else was ready to move on. I mean, yes, he was winning the East titles, but we saw the warts get embarrassed in the first game of the season versus Michigan was enough for me to, to, to move on uh, in, in that season. And then for this year, you know, for, for me and then with Grantham, you look, and there was no way, uh, and part of it was, I just knew there was no way you were getting rid of Todd Grantham. And after what he did in 2018 and 2019, could you see the warts? Could you see the not being able to show up in big games? Yes, that was there, but you wanted to give him a chance to prove because Will and I, you and I, I was going to your point too. I thought the 2020 defense was going to be pretty good. I thought they had the, I thought I thought they had the potential to be really athletic. They recruited a whole lot of. Look, at first we thought all these tweeners were probably a good idea in some form or fashion. It turned out to be a terrible idea because they didn't know where to they didn't know where to play them, I and you know, so that that's where I thought, hey, this defense has a chance to be more athletic than the defense that we saw in 2018 and 2019. It didn't show up that way, and then compound that with the issues, the basic issues that you weren't able to get right. That's why, you know, after I go back to the reaction episode after Oklahoma, that's why pretty much the first time I publicly said it, okay, Florida needs to move on from Todd Grantham. That was, it was it, you know, 2018, 2019, he did some good things. There were some warts that he needed to fix. A year ago, we were doing an episode saying, you know, where the offense needed to improve, where the defense needed to improve. And we pointed to all those things not only did they not improve, it got 10 times worse. <laughs> so it's uh, it, that's where it is. I'm usually last on the fire train, but uh, that's, uh, that's kind of where it stands right now. Uh, but, you know, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, could it still happen? It's kind of late in the in the process now if you're going to do it. Maybe all this NFL talk stuff's kind of maybe hinging up or any, anything like that. I don't think that's the case. I think Todd Grantham will be the defensive coordinator in 2021. But um, just kind of where we're at right now. Well, and I think we should say we fully support Grantham now that he's been now that he's yes. now that they've decided to retain him. We fully support him, and, but we're going to do our job and evaluate. And so when when things don't look the way they should, we're going to tell you. And you know, <laughs> I was listening to the post game live. Um, you know, I wasn't able to join you when you did it, but I but I logged into YouTube to listen to the post game live. And I was like, whoa, when you've lost Gator Dave. Like you, you've you've lost a substantial portion of the fan base at that point, because like you said, it's not something we like doing. We don't want to call for people's jobs. We want people to be here for an extended period of time. And 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 it's an uncomfortable thing to do to sit there and say, hey, somebody should be fired because we wouldn't want somebody doing that to us at, at our jobs. And um, but that's part of it. Right. I mean, part of getting paid one point eight million dollars is you've got that sort of scrutiny. You've got that sort of interest. I and mean, one of the reasons you get paid that much money is Florida fans are so passionate. And that goes both ways is that the passion is awesome when everything is successful. I guarantee you that those guys all felt like a million dollars after that Georgia week. And the the issue, though, is it's a sine wave, right, is that when you win and you beat Georgia, everybody's really, really high. When you throw a shoe and you lose to LSU, everybody's really, really low. And and the highs and lows at Florida are going to be different than they're going to be at, at, you know, 
Middle Tennessee State or different than they're going to be at Bowling Green or different than they're going to be even at like Michigan and Ohio State just because the SEC is different. And I think in some capacity, Florida is different too. And that's a good thing and a bad thing. I love the fan base. Um, but at the same time, I understand that the passion can can work both ways, right? It's a double-edged sword. The passion is what gets you the money. The passion is what gets you the interest. The passion is what makes you feel so good when you win. But that passion is also what makes it really, really difficult when you lose. And in the coaching profession, if you listen to most coaches, they'll tell you, I'm, like, not losing is my goal. That winning does not feel as good as losing feels bad. And so if you're built that way, then I'm sure having the fans pile on after you lose is just miserable and is not necessarily offset by the, uh, by the laudits that you get when you win a game. So, um, yeah, hey, I, I think we're going to see what happens. They've made some changes in the secondary. Maybe that was what needed to be made. Maybe, maybe that was just something that they realized halfway through the year. Hey, these guys did not do a real good job of, of getting our concepts um, communicated to the players during COVID, not having these sorts of um, – you know, having to do things via Zoom, having to do things remotely. And if we make that change and we get guys in there for face-to-face with new coaches, that things will be more successful. Certainly, we hope that's the case. I think we both think the defense is going to be better in 2021. It's just hard to swallow that we had an offense that could have beaten anybody. And yep. if we had a defense that could have forced like uh, one more punt a game, <laughs> chances yep. are we beat A&M, we beat LSU, and maybe even beat Alabama. And, you know then who knows what happens because they wouldn't have brought their practice squad to the first playoff game. <laughs> oh, oh, I will, man. Good stuff. Good stuff. We're a little bit long here than we normally do, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it is what it is right now. We do not really time for a kind of season review episode. We will. I was asked about it. Alec Bennett, I know you asked me, uh, we will get back to our over under review. I know a lot of you guys uh, out there like to check that out. We just, like I said, we went an hour and 15 minutes right here. So we knew, uh, you know, the, 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 the kind of key uh, is keeping this around an hour uh, there. We'll, we'll, we'll pick it back up next week. We'll, take a look back at kind of our season predictions uh, over under where we look at some stats that you guys, uh, one we know we missed on, it was 30 touchdowns for Kyle Trask. We completely, completely obliterated, missed that one. Uh, well, I don't remember what you, I don't remember if you picked it. I know I didn't, but I think, no, I, I think we missed, on, I think I missed on everything. I think yeah. it's going to be just, there's going to be a brutal review because I thought the defense was going to be good. And I thought the offense was going to be marginally better. And they come out and just have an offense that's screaming up and down the field and a defense that can't stop anybody. So uh, we'll see. I'll have to go back and look I, I had planned on looking at that, but then all of this, uh, all this stuff with Mullen and Grantham came out and having a chance. So when we look back, everybody will be able to realize I, I, I sent out a sarcastic tweet last night because uh the nfl guys on nbc had posted their records and then they had the crowdsourced sort of you know just the fans who were voting on nbc.com for for the for the records and that and those guys were doing way better than like you know tony dungy and <laughs> all the other people were picking so i'll give everybody the opportunity to make fun of me because i'm pretty sure that it's going to be the exact same situation here as you're going to be like oh well you went like two and ten that, on that yeah, yeah. See, it was trash <laughs> Trash 30 touchdowns, Pierce, uh, there's some, you know, 40 catches for any pass catcher, offense 30 points per game, defense 21 points per game, all that stuff. We'll go over it next week, as Will just said. I just listed some of them there you know we missed on. Uh, hey, 21 and, points per game. We only missed by 10. 
Oof, oof, oof. Yeah, we'll get back into that. I know you guys like it. It's a, it's a lot of fun. I have been asked about it uh, to, to go back and look at it. So we will certainly do that next week. Kind of a season wrap-up show uh, as well. Not necessarily, you know, we've kind of wrapped up Florida season a bit here with some of the discussion we've had here tonight. We will do that. We'll go back and, you know, kind of do what we did last year. We'll look for areas of improvement for the offense uh, with a big change. And defense as well over under and we will come at you Will, i think we've already talked about it next tuesday night uh at national championship game is next monday night everybody will watch alabama and ohio state no sense in going live no sense in doing a show at the same time as the national championship game so we will be with you live next tuesday here on gators breakdown we'll we'll, we'll talk about the national championship whoever comes out of that winning there between the crimson tide and, and the buckeyes and uh we'll uh do some fun stuff uh next week so uh right, well what you got uh, you got anything coming up this week read reaction I don't know. Things have sort of been thrown for a loop with all the stuff that's going on with the program, but uh, until something happens, <laughs> I, I, I've got a few things coming up that are going to be sort of more abstract. I think looking at um, looking at just generally um, building a program and and what you know what you might be giving up if Mullen left versus what you're gaining if he leaves that sort of stuff. And you know we'll see. I'm hoping I don't have to write those articles because I'm hoping that everything's resolved in the next day or so. But I think it's important to take a look at. You know we mentioned all the different benefits that each side gets from this relationship. I think it's important to take a look at that and sort of put that in perspective because there are people who look at it and they're sort of you know if you want to go go. And I don't think that's the right the right way to look at it. I think that there are positives and negatives to each each move. And the question is, what are those? So we'll probably be looking at that. And then I'm hoping to actually delve into the film a little bit. Um, now that they've decided to retain Grantham, what are the things that need to change, right? And, and start looking at um, defensively, not just personnel, but what are the schematic things that you need to look for in 2021 to see whether he has more confidence in the players that he's putting out there and, and to know that his scheme is being implemented correctly. Cause I do think that was a big part of it too, is we can't be privy to whether his players were executing things correctly or whether he was putting them out there and they just, you know, whether he was calling the wrong play or whether they were executing it poorly. And I think it's probably a combination of both when you give up that many points, but uh, I'm hoping to delve into that and sort of give people an idea. So that's going to be the next couple of months over at the site. So certainly check in and appreciate everybody reading and, uh, and checking us out. All right. That's Will Miles. You can check him out at Twitter at Will Miles SEC and his site readreaction.com. Uh, if anything breaks this week, uh, I'll be sure to, uh, I'll sure hop on. We'll do something here on Gators Breakdown, uh, of course. Uh, we'll be standby mode as well. If something happens, I'll definitely uh, throw an episode out there. So I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can follow me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>